0: Missouri State Senator Brian Williams has been in office for a little more than a year and the University City Democrat is hard at work at criminal justice issues and piecing together Missouri's state budget. On the latest episode of Politically Speaking, Williams joins me to talk about what he's supporting during the 2020 session and some of the things he'll be standing up against. Let's hit the music.
1: ...is as
0: critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my
1: name where I didn't have the money.
0: And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. And joining me as my special guest today, the senator from Missouri's beautiful 14th District... Brian Williams. Thank you very much for coming back on the show. First time as an actual senator. The last time you were on the show, you were senator-elect, and we're only talking about like what you wanted to do. Now you've been in the arena for almost a year and a half. I'll start off with a real softball. How's it been so far?
1: It's been an excellent job. I mean, serving in the Missouri Senate is, is a really cool job. The only thing I didn't really expect coming into this role is that we worked really, really late. Oh, you didn't, you didn't know that. I didn't think we would be there as late as we are as often.
0: Boy, you were in for a rude awakening because when I was covering the Missouri Senate in 2007, I actually went through a filibuster that started at 7 p.m. and didn't wrap up until 7 a.m. the next morning, which
1: I think has actually kind of yes. happened almost. So I've, I've experienced a filibuster that long, and it was a culture shock because we had our first filibuster probably within the first month. Of uh, last session.
0: Before we talk about stuff that you may filibuster, we're going to talk about in the second half of the show, I want to talk about some of the things that you're involved with this session. I understand from talking with you before the show, you've just been appointed to the Senate Appropriations Committee, which is, I would say, one of the most, most important committees in the Senate because it, it involves writing the budget. What, why did you want to join that committee and what are you hoping to accomplish?
1: Well, it's, it's a very powerful committee, as you know, Jason, and and to serve on it, It allows me to, one, be a a member of the minority party and actually have uh, a significant level of power when it comes to how we appropriate money in the state of Missouri. But then also it allows me to be uh, a champion for the St. Louis region in terms of of getting money uh, to our region for various programs, uh, funding for institutions, and really be able to enhance the quality of life for people that live in the St. Louis region. So I think it's a great opportunity.
0: You're you're entering that committee, I think, through the budget process. The budget process started weeks, if not months, ago. How are you getting up to speed of what is almost certainly, for, for anybody, a really daunting process?
1: It's a lot of work, and it's it's a lot to learn. And, and I sit back, and I, I spend a lot of time meeting with the directors, um, going through their budgets offline, um, a lot of reading, not that we didn't do that already in the Senate, but just reading through the budget, learning, um, looking at last... Um, fiscal year on the way the money was appropriated, talking to the budget chair all the time about just the process. I think Dan Hageman, who's the appropriations chair, and um, Lincoln Huff have done a great job uh, bringing my office as well as myself up to speed. Is there any
0: particular segment of the budget that you really want to make sure you put your stamp on
1: in the next few weeks? I think it's more or less making the case for some things. and One of those primary things would be Medicaid expansion. Mm we need to uh, make sure it's clear that Medicaid expansion will be um, a tremendous asset from a fiscal standpoint in the state of Missouri. And it can really help us uh, be able to um, bring in federal funds that can allow us to spend money in other places.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things I've been asking people, both Republicans and Democrats on the show, since there is a ballot item that would expand Medicaid under the auspices of the Affordable Care Act. That I think will almost certainly be on the ballot in 2020. Has there been any discussion among Republicans about passing Medicaid expansion this year to get ahead of it and be able to like put the the Republican stamp on Medicaid expansion, so to speak?
1: Well, it's an election year, so I I think that it's uh, the conversation around it is probably focused more on talking points and not necessarily the facts behind it. So I think this is just another example on why we're probably going to have to put this before the people and not really um, put it on the, um, I guess, the sophistication of the legislature. Well,
0: let's talk about a couple of bills that you have sponsored. The first one I want to talk about is an effort to potentially lower the cost to petition for expungement and also allow for someone to petition for expungement sooner, especially if they have felonies. I want you to explain what's in your bill before we talk about the reasons for it.
1: Yeah, so last session, uh, we passed an expungement bill out of the Missouri Senate. And um, I think it's important that we kind of stay on top of this while um, the the legislature has an appetite for uh, criminal justice reform. Because, you know, years ago, that was almost um, impossible So now that Republicans are in support of criminal justice reform, we're looking at this as an opportunity to kind of strike the iron while it's hot. So um, the current law basically says that if someone has been um, removed from supervised um, release for seven years and they have a nonviolent offense, they can be um, eligible for an expungement in the state of Missouri. We're looking with my bill is to cut that down to three years, um, lower that petition filing fee from two hundred dollars to one hundred dollars, and I think that maximizes the opportunity for low-income and unemployed folks to be able to come up with the resources. And then I think it also uh, cuts down that time period, where, uh, as we know, there are um, instances where folks make mistakes, and I don't think that 70 years of their life should be defined by a, a potential mistake that most likely they made at a at a, at a younger or or a circumstantial point of their life. You mentioned the
0: Republican embrace of, quote unquote, criminal justice reform. One of the things I've noticed from some Republicans this year is actually kind of a shift from that to law and order, let's get tough on criminals, that sort of thing. Um, Do you feel like maybe Republicans are losing their zest for overhauling the criminal justice system and are moving maybe back to more like like stiffening penalties on things.
1: I think it's a, a combination of things, Jason. I think one, um, there's a, a disconnect between um, what, what the root causes of crime, um, in particular things like gun violence and things that happen in urban areas versus the fact that um, we should be um, working in terms of creating relationships with law enforcement. And I think that they think Putting people away for for the rest of their lives, and um, understanding that there are root causes that cause um, um, decisions and in, in crime are mutually exclusive, and they're not. So you know, law enforcement and, and real and and taking um, policies that are uh, decreasing crime at the expense of taking um, preventative steps, like providing opportunities for um, jobs, uh, creating um, opportunities for folks to get a quality education. Those things can coexist, but just locking people up because they made a bad decision or because there's high crime areas, assuming if we put everyone in prison, that's going to make a difference. is the wrong way to look at it.
0: There has been legislation that would allow police officers to send certain cases to the attorney general as opposed to certain prosecutors. And that seems to be aimed at people like Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner and St. Louis County Executive Wesley Bell, who have run on a, quote unquote, criminal justice reform agenda. I'm sure that you're aware of this. And what is going to be your posture if this those types of bills come up in the Missouri Senate?
1: Um, I think that the circuit attorney and the St. Louis County prosecutor have a job, and I think it's uh, no place for the legislature to, to intervene on that. I think um, they have a job for a reason, and they've been assigned a role, and that's to handle um, prosecution um, in, in crimes and cases that come uh, within the jurisdiction. And I, I don't think that we should step into that lane.
0: So I, from that answer, you're probably a big no on that type of issue. I'm
1: a big no on that type of issue. And, um, and, I, and I support you know, and I support local control. Uh, I think that um, the circuit attorney should handle cases that fall within her scope, as well as the uh, St. Louis County prosecutor.
0: Another bill that you have sponsored is legislation that would add sexual orientation and gender identity to state anti-discrimination laws, particularly the Missouri Human Rights Act. This is known as MONA, and this has been proposed for well over 20 years by a host of Bipartisan legislators. It hasn't just been Democrats. There's been some Republicans. Obviously, the issue of discrimination against LGBTQ people has become a huge issue in St. Louis County with the Wild Haver verdict and then Wild Haver settlement. Is there any connection between you pushing for this and what's happened in St. Louis County since you represent a big part of St. Louis County?
1: Well, I represent, yeah, a large chunk of St. Louis County, and um, there is a nexus between um, what happened in in St. Louis County and fouling this bill. But there's also a nexus with the fact that I'm the only black man in the Missouri Senate, and I don't want to be discriminated against uh, either. So, um, you know, what happened in St. Louis County, in my opinion, um, was wrong. Um, I don't think that anyone should be discriminated against, regardless of their uh, sexual identity or or gender identity. That's something I personally believe. I filed this bill to, one, um, make a case to other parts of, of the state and counties and cities that there are folks in the legislature that don't think it's okay. And it should not be a law that should discriminate against anyone. And hopefully that sets um, the tone for local government to to really take leadership and, and really cut down on the way um, um, their um, respective governments or, or businesses or corporations are treating folks um, that may fall within the scope of, of this, this, this bill.
0: There are two reasons why I think there's opposition to Mona. One is that people just are religiously against the concept of, being gay or being lesbian or being transgender or bisexual. The other is that by adding uh, sexual orientation and gender identity to the human rights statutes, it could open up businesses to more lawsuits. I'm sure that you've heard combination of both of those from your Republican colleagues. Am I
1: right about that's what the opposition is or am
0: I missing the boat a little well,
1: bit? Well, some of his opposition to that and some is just flat out discriminatory. And, and to go even further, some of it is just flat-out racist. That's it. But if you look from a fiscal standpoint, I guarantee you, you can sit down and talk to um, leaders throughout this region and state, and I guarantee you, um, Missouri has has missed out on so many opportunities to draw um, resources here and, and um Um, opportunities to to generate revenue because of the loss that we have in the state. And I think discriminating against folks because of their gender, their race, or or sexual identity is the primary reason for that. I just got to ask, like, why do you feel like opposition to Mona
0: has a nexus with racism?
1: Because of the fact that it's it, it discriminates against a population of, of, of people. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't live in a country, in my opinion, that should discriminate against someone regardless of, of how they identify themselves. They have that right. And I don't think government should be intervening on that. I think that everyone should have the freedom to express themselves however they choose to. And the Constitution is only appropriate when it's convenient. So if we live in a country that says that everyone should have the right to be safe and um, express themselves freely, then we should pass this bill in the legislature and we should not have discrimination going on in St. Louis County or anywhere else.
0: What do you think the prospects are for Mona this year? As I mentioned before, it's been introduced for many, many years with varying levels of success. It actually passed out of the Senate once, but didn't pass out of the House. It's passed out of House committees before, but didn't get a vote on the House floor. What do you think that the prospects are for this legislation?
1: Well, I'll tell you this. I spend a lot of time walking the halls of the legislature. So right now I'm I'm informing and educating my colleagues and beyond on um, what this bill means and how important it is to pass it. And it's not going to infringe on anyone's religious beliefs or um, or um, anyone's in the terms that certain folks like to use freedoms I, I think that this uh, can both coexist with religion and, and everything else that's important to folks
0: we'll be right back after this quick break with Senator Brian Williams and we're back with State Senator Brian Williams a Democrat from University City I want to talk about some issues that you're definitely not supporting and may be involved in all-night filibusters we talked about at the beginning of the show. The first is an issue that came up pretty recently involves something called recovery charter schools. I want you to explain what a recovery charter school is and why you decided
1: to come out against legislation
0: setting them up in Kansas City.
1: Absolutely. So the beauty of the Missouri Senate is that we could take the time to walk through bills. Uh, I don't think anyone knew what this is what this program was. Now, clearly after um, many hours on the floor, uh, we kind of <laughs> know what this bill is about. And and what we gathered was this is a bill that would uh, really target um, a population of, of students that are um, um, have been in circ- situations where they may have abused drugs or, or may have um, certain addictions to drugs uh, and or alcohol. And it would pretty much take students from all over the state and they would be able to go to, to an institution in Kansas City, which, as we know, um, there's, there's money that goes to school districts per student that would no longer be available to those school districts if there was a student that decided to go to this particular um, school. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I represent a district that has um, um, a significant number of public school districts um, I went to Hazelwood School District, um, and I'm a proud um, product of public schools. I don't think that we should be defunding public education at the expense of, of schools like this one. Now, if there's private money and, and alternatives to get funding for students to attend a program or a school like this, then that's a different conversation, but we should not be defunding public schools in return to to go to a a charter-like or or charter similar school.
0: Is your biggest opposition to the fact that this wouldn't be like a traditional public school within the Kansas City school system, that it's a charter school and it would have a different governance than the Kansas
1: City School District basically? Absolutely. There's been um, proven models that charter schools have not done nearly as well as public schools, and and they they tend to fail consistently. And I don't think that the state should be investing in in programs like that until they have a model that they can show that they work. I think we need to be investing in our public schools and figuring out how do we make those schools and districts better, and then ultimately you know, see where we go from there. But right now, I think the public school systems has too many challenges to be taking money away from it. And I don't think charter schools are a a good alternative.
0: You know, taking the lens back a little bit, there has been efforts in the legislature for a few years to expand the ability for charter schools to go into certain places, especially St. Louis County. And let's, let's be honest with ourselves. If St. Louis County allowed for charter schools, Like more broadly than they do now, they wouldn't be setting up charter schools in Maplewood, Richmond Heights, where I live, because nobody would go to those charter schools. It's going to be targeted at your district and a lot of school districts that are not doing as well as mine in Maplewood, Richmond Heights. What's going to be your posture when those pieces of legislation come up? May not happen this year, but it may happen in the next couple years. And you're going to hear arguments that, well, we need to set up more charter schools and Normandy, Riverview Gardens, University City, uh, maybe even Hazelwood,
1: because students need an alternative to what's there. Think about it, Maplewood, Richmond Heights, that used to be a, 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 a school district that had several challenges. Now it's considered one of the best school districts in the state. Yeah, because I moved there. It's all because of exactly. me. Exactly. <laughs> so since since you've moved there, um, no. that, that shows no. if we have more people moving to these communities and investing in these school districts, then they'll do better. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the argument that I make uh, uh, about this particular bill. Let's invest in what we have and figure out how to make it better and not take away from it And 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 take a chance on um, something that's proven to fail. What is the status
0: of the recovery charter school bill we talked about? What's the future of that legislation?
1: Well, the the interesting thing about this is that charter schools create strange bedfellows in the Senate. So it's not a, a partisan deal. You have Republicans and Democrats that um, have issues with charter schools and have districts where uh, public schools are considered the keystone to their region. Um, I think it comes up again, just like anything else um, in the Senate, nothing's ever dead. So I think it comes back up, but I'll, I'll be prepared to to stand however long I need to to ensure that um, this bill doesn't go into law.
0: Another uh, slate of issues that may be coming your way involve guns and gun restrictions. Uh, before the show, you were talking about some bills that were filed that I would that would, I guess, make it easier to carry guns on, on on college campuses and also ones that would, I guess, nullify federal laws that restrict guns. I, I wanna make sure I'm getting the, the 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 subject matter correctly about the bills that you are clearly not a fan of. So- Yeah,
1: you did, and I serve on the um, Public Safety Committee in the Missouri Senate, so all of the gun bills come through that committee. And um, I've made it very clear in committee, and, and I will on the floor if they ever get there, um, we should not be promoting um, guns on public uh, campuses or, or or within schools or, or public transportation. That just doesn't, I don't think that's common sense gun um, laws and, and I think it's bad policies for the state. I think right now, um, any any bill that comes um, across, Um, my desk that's in support of expanding access to guns and not controlling who has access to them, I'm going to be strongly opposed to. And those are two uh, bad bills.
0: You know, we talked about kind of strange bedfellows about how maybe some Republicans would join with Democrats about opposing charter schools. But it seems like in Missouri, the public sentiment for like really stringent regulations on guns is not as strong simply because the rural parts of the state have a long tradition with guns and using them responsibly. And there's a whole cultural aspect around them. Are you finding that some of your Republican colleagues may be more inclined to support the bills that you're going to oppose because many of their constituents see gun restrictions as a bad
1: thing? Um, Believe it or not, I think that there's a a general consensus of folks who um, do not agree with um, there being um, guns um, on the streets and being um, in the hands of people who don't understand how to properly use them, I think we need to be promoting gun safety. And I don't, I, I have a high regard for the Second Amendment. I don't think that we should be taking guns from law-abiding citizens, but also don't think that law-abiding citizens should want to have guns that exceed the, the the fire capacity of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And I definitely don't think that we should be putting. Um, our, our, our state in a position where folks who have mental health disorders, um, folks who have um, um, history of domestic violence, um, having access to guns. And if we don't tighten up that that um, if we don't tighten that up and, and put laws and policies in place to address that population of people, then we're going to continue to have some of the um, crazy cases we have.
0: So let's talk about the upcoming 2020 election cycle for a bit. Let me just just get this right out of the gate. There's been rumors for a long time that you have been interested in running for St. Louis County Executive. I'm gonna just ask you directly, are you thinking of running for St. Louis County Executive?
1: Well, I'll tell you this. Um, When I ran for State Senate, um, it was a job I was excited to to run for. I let all the candidates and and clearly uh, the public know that that was my intention. Um, I have not done that for county executive, and and if anything was ever changed, that would be the first thing I do, notify the public as well as the candidates. So as of today, um, I'm I'm proud to be serving in the Missouri Senate.
0: Well, that is a very important race, not only politically, but for citizens of St. Louis County, just because the St. Louis County Executive's Office is so powerful and so meaningful to St. Louis County residents. And right now, barring anybody else getting in the race, whether you or anybody else, It's three relatively similar candidates, Sam Page, who's the county executive, Jake Zimmerman, who's the county assessor, and Mark Monavani, who almost won the Democratic primary in 2018. Like, they're three well-established, fairly wealthy white males. And I hate to just pigeonhole this question because you're an African-American, but given that you represent, I think, one of the largest African-American communities in the entire state... Mm -hmm. How do any of these three people appeal to this voting base that could determine who the next county executive is?
1: Um, I think they have to do like any other candidate that's serious about the the office that they're running for and that's put together a plan to um, justify why voters should support them and um, place a record of service of things that they've done, whether it's professionally or in elected office, on how they're going to be inclusive to people of color. Um, how they're going to work on policies that that doesn't make um, certain populations and demographics of people not feel like um, they're they're worthy of their vote. And um, I haven't seen any of their plans yet, but hopefully whoever that's serious, if not all three, propose a plan to show why people I represent should vote for him.
0: Well, when I look at the map that Wesley Bell used to win his prosecutor race, I saw him winning huge margins in North St. Louis County, which is predominantly African-American, and also pretty big margins where I live in Richmond Heights, Maplewood, Brentwood, the central corridor, so to speak. And I think whichever candidate is able to piece together that coalition will be the next St. Louis County executive. Do you agree with me on that, or you
1: think it's a little bit more uh, not broad I, than that? I, I think you, I think you're spot on. I mean, I I have a district that has some of the wealthiest communities in in the region, like Clayton and Ladue, um, University City, and then I also represent communities like Ferguson and and uh, Hazelwood and Florissant. And that's a, a wide scope of, of voters. And um, I, I understood exactly what I needed to do to earn um, their their vote. And, and that's how I got to the state senate. So that's gonna be a recipe that I think the three candidates or possibly more would have to figure out if they wanna be successful.
0: Let's shift the lens back a little bit to an election that's actually gonna be pretty close. It's gonna be closer, which is the presidential primary, which is actually like two or three weeks away at this point. You haven't endorsed anybody yet. Right? I have. Who? Uh, the Democratic nominee. Oh, there you go. Who do you think will have an upper hand in the St. Louis region? I know Michael Bloomberg is spending a ton of money on ads and also staffing up in the St. Louis area. But I got to just be very candid with you. He is His record with black voters and with rural voters because of his gun control advocacy is really questionable. And I think that any of the remaining candidates definitely have a big opportunity to get that voting swath, which I think will
1: be important in the Democratic primary. How do you think that stacks up? Well, I, I think um, right now the, there's a lot of challenges for, for various candidates in the Democratic uh, primary. And, and for me, because I have a district that, that's far from monolithic, um, I'm sitting back and I'm listening to um, the folks that I serve. And, and um, hopefully um, that gives me a better understanding on who they feel would be best to represent them as the commander-in-chief but I can tell you one thing, and one person I will not be supporting. And Donald, uh, Donald Trump. And that's, and that's the current president uh, right now. That's, um, br- that's breaking news. I'm really shocked so, to hear that. So, you know, um, if anybody's... You know, breaking news. I, I'm not supporting the the, the current president.
0: So. so the reason, yeah, the reason I'm asking about the presidential race is the presidential race will have such a big impact on down ballot contests, um, for like the governor's race between Nicole Galloway and Mike Parson, all the other down ballot statewide race races, Jill Shoup versus Ann Wagner, and I think if you pick the wrong Democratic nominee who cannot appeal to the Democratic base and also independent voters. And you have another scenario like 2016 where the Democratic presidential candidate is losing by 19 points here. No Democrat's going to win statewide. So what do you think uh, Democrats have to do to prepare for this upcoming election cycle?
1: Um, I think the same thing um, that every candidate that runs statewide, you have to energize um, the, the party first. And then you have to reach voters where they are and give them a reason to turn out in high numbers on election day. Um, I think that there's a a population of voters who um, are looking to to figure out which candidate speaks to their interests. I think that um, statewide candidates have to be um, thoughtful and considerate of that. Um, like I said, I think my district is a model for the state. And, and if you ever wanna have a good opportunity or, or understanding on how you should campaign, come to the 14th district, because we have um, wealthy folks, um, more poverty-stricken folks, uh, folks of various races and backgrounds. I even have Republicans that are in my district in the northern part in Bridgestone and, and, and some parts of uh, Overland and, and things like that. So um, they're gonna have to figure out how to to place a case on why um, the demographic of voters should support them. And, and um, we'll be, that's to be determined.
0: How do you think uh, the aforementioned galloway parson Rakes stacks up? I mean, I've been saying this for months, if not years. The Democratic nominee for governor cannot win if they do not piece together big turnout in St. Louis, St. Louis County, and Kansas City, winning some of the more conservative suburbs and holding down margins in rural areas. I've done the math. You can't win without all three as a Democrat. Do you think Galloway has what it takes to piece together that coalition to upend Parson?
1: I think Nicole Galloway, um, one, brings something unique to the table. Um, you know, and I'm not just saying that because I, I personally know her. But um, I think she's willing to do whatever she has to do and whatever she can to meet people where they are. And I think that's going to serve to an advantage. If you look at last election cycle, she um, she uh, ran in a in in a in a wave. Um, she somehow overcame that. When Senator Claire McCaskill lost, yeah. she won in areas that, that Claire didn't.
0: Against a really weak opponent who
1: didn't spend a lot yeah. of money. But but I don't think, I think once you get to that part of the ballot, Jason, I, yeah. I don't think people are really even doing the research. I think they're voting um, along party lines. Mm-hmm. So there were some folks who were very intentional that may have voted for uh, Josh Hawley, but they decided to vote for Nicole Galloway.
0: What are some other races? We, we talked about the big ticket races county executive, governor, president. I know you told me before the show you're not going to get involved in a lot of democratic primaries which is probably a good move i've seen people who have done that who have been burned before what are going to be some general election races that you're going to be watching besides the ones we mentioned
1: yeah absolutely um i'll be um out and about um for uh, deb Lavender. i think that's a, a race to watch for uh, senate district 15. um i think uh, another race to watch is down in south county with uh, doug beck who will be replacing um senator scott sifton and then I think another race. Um, I think I think those are probably the two primary races um, that that we I'll be watching and and um, seeing what we need to do to ensure that we we maintain or, or flip those seats.
0: Well, Senator, thank you so much for coming in today. We'll have to have you back in less than a year and a half. We try to get the St. Louis Senators on every year for all of our stories. STLPublicRadio.org can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web?
1: On Twitter, I'm Brian Williams, M.O. Clearly, I'm on Facebook. And you can also find me on Instagram at B underscore Williams, M.O. And if you're not following Jason Rosenbaum on Instagram, please follow him because he is doing some exceptional work as an adjunct professor at Washington University.
0: I am. And I my Instagram is Jason Rosenbaum. It's really easy to find. So long.